And let's, in the Bible, turn to the book of Romans and chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Just going to read a few verses from verse 1. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit." Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Last time we were looking at this chapter, we looked just at the first verse uh, here in Romans chapter 8, looking at that wonderful statement that Paul has been working up to right from chapter 1 and verse 1. Uh, This great gospel, back in chapter 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's power for the salvation of everyone who believes. He expresses his enthusiasm and confidence in his message. And why is he so enthusiastic? Why does he want to travel all the way to Rome in order to preach this message? Well, really for this great reason, this great message of no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's unfolded why there ought to be condemnation. He's unfolded the whole reality of the weakness of our sinful nature, our sin and rebellion against God, the fact that God is holy, we have to stand before him. How can we do that? There is no way through for us, but there is a way that God has provided a way in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is now, we saw it it means there is now absolutely no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Back in chapter 7, he looks at a kind of miserable alternative. People who understand God's law, understand God's requirements, and just trying desperately to please God without faith in Christ, without the activity of the Spirit, simply trying to obey the law. And uh, here in chapter 8, he calls that the law of sin and death. The law just leads to sin and ultimately to death. We can't do it. We're trying to achieve the unattainable. But now, he says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to move on just a bit to verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. We're in a totally new realm. Now, it's so important that we understand that. And I hope as we work through this this morning, we'll get a bit more understanding of just what it is that we actually have come into, and we can then, as we realize what we've come into, hopefully we'll have faith to begin to receive that. 
We've been singing wonderful songs this morning, setting out the truth of what we've come into. My chains fell off, my heart was free. It's possible that you're here this morning singing the words, enjoying the tune, but thinking, I'm still chained, I still can't actually break through this issue and that issue. And we need to understand just what we've come into. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Well, what's that about? Well, what the law was powerless to do, and it was weakened by the sinful nature or weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son. Paul there refers to what the law couldn't do. He refers to the the impossibility, the powerlessness of the law, something it couldn't do. And what couldn't it do? It says, well, it was weakened by the sinful nature. This perfect law of God... This wonderful law of God, this magnificent statement of how God wants us to live, and it is wonderful. That glorious, perfect law of God was put in my weak hands, and I couldn't do it. That's the the problem with the law. There's nothing wrong with the law. It's wonderful. The problem is whose hands it's in. We have to do it. So back in chapter 7, verse 18, he says, I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. Just about a week's time, Mary and I will have been living in Sheffield for 13 years, gone quickly. Sometimes it seems a longer time. But when we first arrived, we were the first people to actually move into our home, and uh, the garden, such as it was, was just grass and we wanted some flower beds and so uh, I got the garden fork out uh, to dig it in uh, and uh, begin to turn over some of the grass and create a flower bed. I dug it in, pulled it back and the handle broke. I had to go and buy a pickaxe. Now actually it was a perfectly good fork. The problem was in the handle. The handle snapped. You could actually get a new handle put it in and we still use it to this day. It's a perfectly good fork but the handle was weak. Perfectly good law of God, it's the handle that's the problem. It's us. And when we're trying to use the law of God to deal with sin, and there was rock in our garden that broke that thing, when we're trying to deal with sin, it's the handle that's weak. It was weakened by the flesh. God has given us his perfect law, puts it in our hands, and says, now deal with sin. Well, it just breaks. We can't do it. We break God's law. What the law couldn't do, God did. So what couldn't it do? Well, to use technical language, it couldn't justify us or sanctify us. To use more ordinary language, it couldn't get me right with God. It couldn't make me acceptable for God. I can see what God requires, but I couldn't do it. It can't, the law cannot change my nature. The law can't make me good. And so I see this priceless information of how God wants me to live. And it is wonderful, the law of God. It covers every detail and shows us how God wants us to live. I've got this priceless information, and I can't live up to it. The law of God can't make me right with God, and the law of God can't change me. It can't make me good. 
the law of sin and death. It will always lead either to a profound sense of failure or to a sort of denial where we kid ourselves we're better than we are. But either way, it doesn't bring about any real change. Elsewhere, when Paul is writing to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21, Galatians 3:21, he says, If a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the law, that's the problem. The law doesn't impart life. It tells us, but it doesn't work in us. It doesn't change us. The writers of the Hebrews puts it even more strongly in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 18. The former regulation, the writer says, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. That's the problem with the law of God. It's, it is perfect, but it's useless in as much as it doesn't change us. It doesn't make anything perfect. That's what the law couldn't do. So Paul in Romans chapter 8 says, God has brought about something different. What the law couldn't do, God did. And there, that's the important statement that he's making, God has done what couldn't happen any other way. Now, what has God done? Well, he he tells us God did by sending his own son. God sent his own son. And that word own is important. It's drawing attention to the uniqueness of Christ and also the great cost involved in what God did. God didn't dispatch an angel to deal with the problem. He didn't do that simply because it was a human problem, sin. An angel couldn't be our substitute. An angel couldn't represent us in any kind of way. It needed a human being to be our substitute, to be our representative. And so, incredibly, God sent his own son, becoming a man, becoming one of us. His own son, in in verse 32 of this same chapter, Paul draws attention there again to the uniqueness of Christ. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God sent his own son, he says, in the likeness of sinful man or in the likeness of sinful flesh. There Paul is choosing his words very carefully. It's maybe helpful to look at what he doesn't say there in order to get the, the, the strength of what he is saying. He doesn't say that God sent his son in sinful flesh. He became man, but he had no sin. He was not in sinful flesh. He was a man, a perfect man, who never sinned. He doesn't say he sent his own son in the likeness of flesh. Because he didn't come like us, he came as one of us. He wasn't just like us, he was real flesh and blood, a real human being. So he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the likeness of sinful man, really man and yet without sin. And for a purpose, it says to be a sin offering. Some versions say for sin, but it's a technical expression that means what it says here, uh, to be a sin offering. He was born to be the ultimate sacrifice. 
He was born in order to represent us. The baby in the manger was born for this destiny. God becomes man in order to deal with sin, in order to be a sin offering. So as Jesus grew to adulthood, still off the scene really, no one realized his significance. As he grows to adulthood, John the Baptist sees him and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's Jesus, the sin offering. God's Lamb, the the fulfillment of all Old Testament sacrifices, Jesus coming in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so, Paul says, he condemned sin in sinful man. Our sin was punished in his body once and for all. Paul begins the chapter saying there is now no condemnation. Why is there no condemnation? Well, because condemnation has happened. He condemned sin in the flesh, condemned sin, as it says here, in sinful man. Jesus became one of us. Sin punished, the sentence is passed, the punishment is suffered. It is dealt with once and for all when Jesus died. He dies as a sinner. The wages of sin is death. Jesus takes our place and sin is condemned in him. It's dealt with. And we, Paul is saying, we are in Christ. So there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It has happened in history once and for all. And so, sin can no longer dictate the terms for us. We're no longer under it. Back in chapter 6, he'd been saying that in verse 14. Sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. Sin did dominate us. That's what chapter 7 is illustrating. Sin dominating us, hearing the law of God. We want to do it, we can't. Endless frustration, coming to the place of despair. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me? That's not where we are. That's where we would be if we were outside of Christ, appreciating God's standards. We can't do it. But sin is not our master, because it's been condemned. He condemned sin in sinful man. The law couldn't do any of this. The law was in our hands, and our hands are weak. We can't obey God fully as much as God requires. The law, perfect law of God, placed in our hands. So God takes the whole matter out of our hands and puts it in the hands of his son. And there, it is fully dealt with. That's the doctrine, if you like, that's, that's what Paul is teaching here. That's the, the truth of the gospel. But then he, he's concerned to move on to what that leads to, the outcome. So, so he condemns sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who don't live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. The purpose of this is to bring us into a totally new kind of experience, a a totally new way of living. The righteous requirements of the law fully met in us, what does that mean? Well, we'll look at it, who don't live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It's a whole new principle. He he says in verse 2, 
Through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. There's a new principle working. There was a principle of sin that leads to death. Now there's a new principle which is the spirit of life. The spirit who gives life who is in us. In other words, Christianity compared with what went before isn't kind of just more more of the same. Just principles we have to live up to, a way of life that is given to us. It's not more of the same. Indeed, for some people, it's even not just more of the same, but it's worse than what went before. Worse than what went before for this reason. We now not only have God's law, but we also have the example of God's Son who became a man Tempted in every way as we are, and never sinned. So we've not only got the law of God, but we've now got an impossible example. An example that rebukes us at every turn, because we're supposed to be like Jesus, and he was just like us, and yet he didn't sin. We do. We're rebuked by that example rather than helped by it. And so for some people, it's not just more of the same, it's worse than what went before. Because while we could excuse ourselves, oh, we're just flesh and blood, now we can't. Because we've got the example of someone who was flesh and blood, who succeeded where we fail. Now, Jesus didn't come to shame us. Jesus didn't come to give us an example that, well, he's just saying, look, it is possible, because it isn't possible. So what is this? Well, it's something completely new. First of all, the righteous requirements of the law fully met in us. How? Well, put to our account, we are justified. All that Jesus achieved, because we are in him, is put to our account. So as God looks at us, he sees us in his son, and we are acceptable to him. Our problem was we could never be acceptable to God, but now we're in Christ. So we are justified. But it's more than that. Some people say, no, that's what it is. And there is debate about the meaning of verse 4 here. Some say, no, it's just talking about being put right with God. But no, it's talking about how we live. Who don't live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Not only is all that Jesus did put to our account so we're justified, but His Spirit is put into us so that we can be different. The righteous requirement of the law. What did the law require? Be holy as I, as the Lord your God am holy. That was what the law required. And now that can be fulfilled in us because the Holy Spirit comes into us, empowering us. There's now not the law of sin and death, but the law of the Spirit of life. We come into something that the Old Testament could never offer. It, it gave us words, it gave us instructions, it gave us commands, it gave us threats. It told us how God wants us to live, full stop. Sinful people could not do that. God has not simply now brought us into a new form of that, he's brought us into something totally different where he comes into us by his spirit so that we have totally new horizons. 
I am no longer limited. You are no longer limited by what we can do. I'm not limited by my history. (coughs) I'm not limited by my personality type. There are some people who go into personality analysis and decide what sort of people we are. Well, that's how you'll always be. No, 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 no. Jesus puts his spirit in us. Not limited by how I was brought up. Not limited by things that happened to me in childhood. Not limited by things that people have said over me. I'm not limited by my family background or what my grandparents were like or anything like that. Because I'm in Christ and his spirit is in me. And we're born again. That's what Jesus said. We're born again. We start again. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. It's not just a nice thought. It's a powerful truth. We don't just start believing some different things. We become new people, living by a new principle at work within us, and that principle is the Spirit of God in us. No longer limited by what we can do, but change God in us. And of course, the guy writing this is a wonderful example of that, the Apostle Paul himself. You look at his history, such as we know of it, before he met the Lord Jesus Christ. A nastier piece of work, it would be difficult to meet. Hating the gospel, hating anyone who believed it, actually persecuting people, having them killed, seeing Stephen being stoned to death, and, and, Steve, and Paul is standing there approving of this barbaric act. Hatred is in his heart. And you read what happens to him after. He speaks of loving God, loving people, caring for people. He's totally changed. Totally changed. How did that happen? Then look at the other example, uh, uh, other examples in the the New Testament of, think of John, the Apostle John. In the Gospel, known along with his brother, the two of them known as the Sons of Thunder. They're, They're going through Samaria and the Samaritans won't receive Jesus. And James and John, these charming characters, say to Jesus, shall we call down fire from heaven and burn them up? I mean, that's the sort of guy he was, a son of thunder. Read his first letter. That you should love one another. It's full of just devotion to Jesus and talking about what it means to be in Christ. You think, transformed. He, does, he doesn't write like a son of thunder anymore. It's changed. How did that happen? Well, because of this gospel. This is a gospel of change, of transformation, of a whole new way of living. It is not more of the same. It's not adding Christian standards to Old Testament standards. It's not just a new kind of legalism. It's not a new list of things you must do and things you shouldn't do. It's not more of the same. If if that was sufficient, why did the Son of God need to come? Well, no, it's something totally different. He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. In us, who don't live according to the flesh, 
but according to the Spirit. Or who don't walk, literally, who don't walk according to the flesh. Paul loves to, it tends to be translated as living, but Paul loves to use this idea of walking. Life, he sees, has a journey. We're journeying through different circumstances. We're traveling through each day. We're walking through each challenge, each difficulty, each blessing, whatever. We're walking through. We walk through our life. And how do we walk? According to the flesh? No. According to the flesh means self-reliant, worldly wisdom, common sense. Well, everyone does this. Everyone thinks that. That's according to the flesh. The sort of stuff that you read in the magazines or whatever, self-help. No, 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 no. Not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Not self-reliant, but Spirit-reliant. Learning to walk through life, not on our own, but with the presence of God, who walk according to the Spirit. Not taking things just with what, how we can handle it, not taking things just with what we can come up with, what resources we have. No, no, no. It's walking through with the Spirit of God. Living, walking according to the Spirit. What the Spirit of God can do in me So things that were not previously possible become possible. Things that were not previously attainable now are achievable. All that God has planned for us is possible. Because that's what we've come into. To walk with Him, to do His will, to in fact, incredibly, not be rebuked and shamed by the example of Jesus, but to actually become like him. See what Paul says in verse 29. Those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. Is that how you see your destiny? Is that how I see mine? I'm not just going to continue as my upbringing would indicate, as my parents would indicate, or whatever. It's born again. And born again by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ to become like Him. God wants to fill heaven with people who are like his son. And that's the destiny he's called us into. The law couldn't achieve that. It's the law of sin and death. Sadly, traditional Christianity has always been incredibly legalistic. Traditional Christianity, sadly, has even taught that chapter 7 is the normal Christian life where we struggle and fail repeatedly, where we are frustrated because we we have desires to be different and we're never able to do it because nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. People who have understood chapter 7 like that have clearly not allowed their eyes to drift down a couple of lines into chapter 8 where it says, through Christ Jesus, 
The law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Back in chapter 7, he says, I'm a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members, verse 23. No, we're not there now. We're not there now. We're set free from that, the Spirit of God in us, so that what previously we couldn't do, we can now do. Tragically, Christians have lived as if that were not true, as if Christianity is, as we've said, really kind of just more of the same, only now we believe in Jesus. And now we know we'll get to heaven, but life here between now and heaven, well, it's much as it was before Jesus came. Paul is saying, no. Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It's God's power to save. It is God's power to transform frail, weak human beings to become like Jesus. Paul could, if he wanted to draw attention to himself, say, look at me, that's happened in me, but he doesn't draw attention to himself. The other apostles, John, Peter, could say, you look at Peter's first letter, I've been reading it through recently. See how he was in the Gospels. If he could not understand something, he didn't understand it. He would blurt things out, get it wrong. And then you read his letter. What a guy. Suffering, pressing through, loving Jesus. He's transformed. Are you transformed? Have you been transformed? Is your character, is your behavior explained by your upbringing, your parents, or whatever? Or is how you are explained by the fact the Spirit of God is in you, that Jesus is in you, and you've been born again? Born again. A whole new start. Is that how you are? Is that how I am? Paul is saying, this is the gospel. This is the good news. We can know God, have peace with God. We can be changed. We can be with him forever. And there is really nothing more desirable than that. There is nothing more wonderful than that. No wonder the devil puts out the kind of propaganda to keep us from believing that. To see that as kind of unreal, but real life is here. No, Paul is saying, this is, this is reality. This is why God gave his own son. Such a dramatic action must be for a dramatic reason. Such an extreme action, the son of God coming as a human being, must be for a pretty significant reason. And it's to change people. To change people. The word that Tom brought earlier, people around who increasingly are aware of a famine situation, they need to see something different. And the word was, they'll see that different, something different in the church, which means people living differently. People living by different resources, people living from a different principle, people have got something that the world can't offer. And this is it. People who are living according to the Spirit, where what previously was not possible becomes possible. There's nothing more desirable than this. And so we mustn't settle for anything less than this. We must not settle for less than that. Or to put it positively, we've got to believe it. Got to believe it. 
And if that's not how we've lived, if that's not how we've seen things up to now, just come to God and say, change my mind. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I want to start getting a hold of what this says. And then I want to start learning what does it mean to walk according to the Spirit, to face Monday through to Friday, knowing the Spirit of God is in me. The ways I previously reacted, I don't need to react like that now. The way I previously thought, no, there's a different horizon. I'm seeing more than I saw before. Do you want that? Because that's the gospel. That's what Paul is so thrilled by. That's what he's teaching in this letter. And that's what God wants us to know now. Let's pray.